You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Business. It's all the things that keep this world turning. And behind every one of these companies is a partner helping to keep it all moving. It's why the local flower shop and your favorite pizza joint, the startup in the stadium, hospitals and hotels, banks and restaurants nationwide, all choose the advanced network, cybersecurity solutions, and round-the-clock trusted partnership from Comcast Business, the company that powers more businesses than anyone else. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Call or visit ComcastBusiness.com to learn more. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You're listening to episode number 62 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here. Thank you so much for listening to Living the Dream. If you like the podcast, please tell all your friends, subscribe to it, rate it, review it on iTunes, all of the above. I really appreciate you listening. You're the reason why we can keep having these conversations with really interesting people. My guest this week is Ricky Miner. He is a music director, a very, very talented and wonderful music director who you might know from The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He also was the music director for American Idol. He also worked with superstar artists on their tours, including Whitney Houston, Christina Aguilera, Ray Charles, Alicia Keys, Beyonce. I mean, come on. This guy is the real deal. I had the pleasure of going to his home and seeing the pictures of all of these wonderful people and getting to hear even more stories than we could fit into this podcast. He is unique in that he has a lot of wisdom and has seen a lot of really talented people at their height. And also because of American Idol, he's seen people just getting started. Um, Ricky grew up in Los Angeles. His mom actually moved him from Louisiana, where he was born, with his, uh, I think he said five siblings, to Los Angeles. And he came up in Los Angeles in the music scene. We begin our conversation talking about the photo of him, his freshman year at UCLA, playing with his band, a little overdressed for the student union gig that he had on the mall at UCLA. Please enjoy my fascinating conversation with the very talented Ricky Miner. Okay, here we go. So we were talking about you, your show at your school and how you had your sister was your only audience. Yeah, yeah, she was, <laughs> uh, yeah, she was the only one there. But, you know, look, you learn from those things and you learn how to, to make decisions uh, and, and, and not take the, the first thing that comes. You know, like that right. was our first opportunity to play at the school. We never played there again, right. you know, and, and I'm not saying that's the reason, but the bottom line is that you know, find out everything you can about the situation and then make a determination if it's right for you. Right. And I, I was just so gung-ho on playing on the campus. But that wasn't the right way. And we, we, we were dressed silly. I mean, if you look at it, it was like, what are these buffoons up there, yeah. you know, kicking their legs? I in think the you air. look pretty good, but well, no, I don't know the setting. I mean, well, listen, it's, it's, it's college students. It's, yeah. it's like freshman year and, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, so it was, it was it was a good experience, but you know, those things lead you to find out discovery. And I I I would say never don't be afraid to try things, you yeah. know, and don't be afraid to change your mind. Yeah. That's the big one. You know, like I I while I was at school uh, in my junior year, I decided I wanted to play music. That's all I could think of and my, I had my grades were going fine, but I left. I literally drove off campus. I mean, as far as the school's concerned, I probably just dropped off the earth. Wow. I never checked out. I never even went back on campus until recently. I did something with Debbie Allen. You, you, we're talking about years and years going yeah. by. So, but I was a math computer science major, and I just stopped. You know, because you were because you knew it, this it, was your it calling. It hit me like a, a ton of bricks. It was raining, and I was on my way to school, and I, I felt I, I just started crying. Wow. And 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 I drove to school and I'm in the parking lot and I just drove out and went straight to Watts to my mom's oh. uh, uh, apartment there in the projects wow. and said, I'm, you know, my eyes were red. And she says, are you OK? And I said, no, I said, I, I'm, I'm I'm leaving school and I, I want I, I, I need to play music and I need to move back in for a little while to figure things out. Right. And uh, first one in my immediate family to go to college. And um, and she said, whatever makes you happy. Wow. That's amazing, right? And uh, so I moved in for about two months. And I, I found a little back house in Watts, like a little, it was a tool shed. And they yeah. literally turned it into uh, just a, a studio apartment with the you know, running water and bathroom. Yeah. And, and that was it. And then they put a little uh, a little door, made a little doorway where and they just put beads up to separate the that's the bedroom with with the twin bed, you know, just yeah. like and, and the closets, you know, just just put a rack in there. Right. I lived there for five years. Wow. Well, I did Dream Girls living there. Okay. Months. Now let's get into that. Yeah. How, you have some Broadway history and it's Dream Girls, yeah. which is a pretty yeah. If you're gonna have history with a Broadway show, that's the one. Yeah, you know, right? I, I, so I, I, I lived there, and after a year, I got my first gig with Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh -huh. So now I'm 19 years old, and I'm working with Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh, uh, I met this girl trying to get a record deal, um, and I was by that. Now I'm at the end of my Whitney Houston thing. Is that when that started? I'm at the end of the Gladys thing. Okay. And it's Whitney Houston who's trying to get a record deal. Wow. And I'm 22 and I'm, I work with Gladys, so I'm feeling like I'm like, I'm the man. Right, right. You know, and she says, I said, what have you been doing? I'm, you know, modeling, uh, but uh, you know, I want to be a singer. And I was like, in my mind, I was going, yeah, right. You know, everybody wants me to sing. I yeah. work with Gladys Knight. She yeah. said, what's it like working with Gladys? And it was, you know, she was a little despondent because no one showed up that first showcase. Really? No one showed up. Because it was groups at the time. It was. It was Shalimar, it was Earth, Wind & Fire, it was uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, right. it was all these bands. And nobody's like, a girl? Right. Just gonna stand there and sing? Who? We, we'll put a, a band around her, but no. Right. Anyway, I mean, that happened, and then uh, the Dream Girls gig came up, and I, was, I, was, uh, I got a call from a buddy of mine who used to live in New York, and he said, hey, my friends are playing, they play, you know, uh, they're doing dream girls, they're having auditions and they're having problems finding a bass player. And I told them that, that you know, I'll call you because you, you, you should really go down there. You just you go down there today, tell them I sent you, you know, because then it wasn't like cell phones. Right, yeah. So, yeah. I, went, I, so I got my bass and I drove down there and I knocked on the door and they were having auditions. 
and uh, and they, it was a callback. They had already gone through like a dozen guys. This and is in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, wow. when it moved from New York, the first place it right, came to right, was right, L.A. Right. So I auditioned and uh, and got the gig. Wow. And uh, the, you know the thing was they wanted someone to play that had a feel for this kind of music. But could also read, and a lot of the the guys, you know, especially a lot of inner city guys, didn't know how to read. Yeah, uh, they could play from church or whatever. But sure. but I I started reading uh, when when uh, the first instrument I played was flute uh, in the marching band, just trying to get out of gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gym, so, but many I mean, a career has started right. to try to get out of gym. Exactly. So <laughs> I've been marching band, and then the concert band, I played uh, bass clarinet, but I didn't start playing bass until I was 14. Right. So through that time, uh, I could always read. And I, and I, I, I saved Coke bottles and, and saved up money and called, picked up the Yellow Pages. Uh, that's, a, that's a book, uh, for those who don't know. It's a, <laughs> it's a book that, they, that the telephone company sends with phone numbers right. and, and advertisement. It's like, uh, it's like Google. Yeah. So anyway, I, I went and I, I, I looked up bass lessons. And uh, or music lessons, and I called the first school that would allow me to 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 pay, and I I saved up money and I took the bus with my bass under my arms, and and so I wanted to to really learn how to re- how to read bass stuff and and really understand music and theory and all these things. So I was ready for that gig, and so the point there is that you never know what's coming. So make yeah. sure you know that you're ready. You're you know, the, yeah, yeah, the opportunity is going to come. You just the yeah. preparation. Yeah. you have to be ready for it. Yeah. So you started working on the show. Was that a very different experience for you, being eight shows a week? Yeah, well, the, the eight shows a week wasn't the hardest. The hardest thing was that a show like that, still in L.A. in 1983, uh, was a big deal. Yeah. But a show uh, with this style of music, uh, out of still out of 30-plus musicians, there was only four musicians in the orchestra that were black. Huh. They were basically one in each section. Wow. So Snooky Young, who is a world-famous trumpet player and, and played on The Tonight Show with Doc Severinsen and, and played on tons of records, a legend, he played trumpet in there. Wow. there was, so he played in the brass section. Uh, the saxophone player was Jerome Richardson, who also played with Quincy and Clark Terry and Basie and all these things. So these guys were, again, legends. Yeah. And then the other guy was uh, a professor, uh, uh, a, uh, a violinist, hmm. and he was another world-class guy. I ended up studying orchestration from him. And so it was just the three of us, but I was the youngest, and wow. no one knew me. I came out of nowhere, yeah. and there were a lot of A-list players who auditioned. Right. And some of the players, they worked together a lot. And yeah. so they knew that we they were going to come in and, and do this gig together and be yeah. able to hang and make money. And so it, what was hard for me is the uh, being somewhat ostracized and not being accepted. And a couple of times, you know, they even tried to get me fired, but there was nothing they could do because I never I was always early. Right. I stayed during the lunch break practicing in the pit. I never I, I didn't do anything. Right. And, and I was always focused you know, where some people would read books in between if they had bars missing. I was like, no, I was counting bars every night on the odd chance that I might blank out and, right. and, and make a mistake. So I was fortunate that, that they came around and basically the contractor just told them, hey, 
leave the kid alone or all you or, or you guys who are bothering him will be fired. And wow. he just brought him in the room with me and said, the kid minds his own business. He's practicing. And those legend guys would stay at lunch and, and, and play duets with me and, and read with me and kind of help me along. So, you know, people want to help you. Yeah. And no matter where you are in life, there are mentors. All you have to do is reach out and ask and then do the work. Yeah. And that was the, that was the lesson for me. Just do the work. Don't worry about the noise. Yeah. It's yeah. always going to be noise. Yes, there will be. So don't worry about the noise. Do the work. I feel like, you know, we've, we've talked a little, uh, we're, and we're going to tell some of these other stories that you that you told me that are so high stakes. You've been in so many high stakes situations. This is, that's nothing compared to what some, some of the other things mm-hmm. and situations, especially in TV and, you know, uh, the, the kinds of talent that you've worked with. You always are so calm. You have an inner peace to you. And maybe that is, is part of it, is, is, is that you have the preparation, that you're ready, that you know that no matter what's going to come at you, that you've always had that preparation. What though, some people don't operate like that. No. You know what I mean? Some people no. are just, uh, even when they're successful, are crazy all the time. Why do you think it's different for you? And why is that important? Well, it's, it's really important because you're going to be remembered always. Hmm. I don't care who you are, you're going to be remembered. Now it's up to you what you remember for. <laughs> so you can be remembered as the person who's difficult, the person who's always late, you know, but I, I tell my guys, I don't do late. Like I fired people from, from, from being late. I just don't do it yeah. because there's too much at stake. And so the excuse of traffic, this, that, and the other, there, there are a lot of excuses, but it, it boils down to poor preparation. Right. And so that part of it is, is making a decision to be the best version of yourself. Right. So that involves me in order for me to be the best version of myself then and do my job. My job is to add value, period. If I'm there, it should make a difference. I need to make a difference. So, and that requires me to inspire my team to be their best self. So all of that leads to me adopting this this philosophy that I would be the thermostat and not the thermometer. Hmm. That I would regulate how things feel oh, for I us. Like that. Because that would allow the music to be the star. I don't need to be the star. Yeah. I just need to facilitate. I'm a yeah. facilitator. I'm, I make things happen and I bring people along and I hire the right people and then there's a commitment to excellence. We won't let it go until it's the best that we can do given the time we have. Right. So if you do that in your mind that you're going to be the best version of yourself, then daily you're improving yeah. because you're not settling for, for phoning it in or just being average. You know, I mean, I'm not the best at, at, at anything uh, in, 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 in my opinion. But I do my best. So that's not for me to judge if I'm the best. That's never for me. Right. If someone says, oh, you're, you're the best or you're one of the best, whatever, that's, that's what they think. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But that's not my goal. I'm, I don't want to be, you know, what, what, I, what I want, if, if there's anything to, to be remembered by, is that I, was, I always did my best and I was honest. Right. In that moment. And kind. That you can. And kind. I, and, and so I don't... I don't I don't give anybody uh, any uh, attitude, but I don't take it either. So 
I, I make a decision that maybe this is not for me. And I don't judge the person because people are in different spaces at different times. Yeah. And I've worked with people who were just so stressed out and didn't really know how to handle it. And so they may have said something to me that wasn't right. right. So I take a step back and I wait for the opportunity to have a conversation. Because the problem that if someone has a problem with me, it's literally their problem. Right. So, but I don't talk to someone else about if you and I have something, then what is it for me to call someone else and start talking to them right. about, about what, you know what he said, you know what he did. And so all that, all that gossiping doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere. No, you're direct, calm. Let's get the job done. Yeah, let's get the job done. And, and if there's something to talk about, though, then say, hey, uh, um, after this is over, uh, you know, you have time to have, have a conversation. Maybe we can get together for yeah. lunch or something and really be able to talk about what it was. Like, well, yeah, it, you know, because that what, so what you did was disrespectful in front of the group you have or in front of the, the client. Right, right. But I'm not going to call you on it and try to cause a big right, scene because right. I have a job to do. The but, thing that we met doing, it was a huge, I mean, for right. me. Huge. I know that for you. No, no. So, so, so let me just make it clear. <laughs> okay. Everything I do is important. Yes. Taking the trash out, <laughs> changing the baby diaper, doesn't matter. Done. I, it's important. Yes. And so I, th there's no, you know, there's nothing more important than the thing you're doing right now. Right. But so that's that also you're why you're right. not, that's why something that is so high, as high profile as that was, right. doesn't shake you or rattle you because no. it's just as important as doing chores at the house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for me, I was a bit of a hot mess at times and you always reined me in. You were always able to say, hey, we're just gonna get this work done because I was asked to, to help out. Right. And you know, it was, it, I mean, we don't have to get into who right. was there, but there were just a long list of people who I've idolized my whole life. Yeah, no, right? I, I, I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about it because every opportunity to serve Yeah. Is, is huge because especially if you get a chance to use your art to celebrate someone else who has inspired you. Yeah. And so working with these high profile, high legend people, they're where they are because uh, their art made a way for them to, to express it. And yeah. then people got a chance to feel it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one thing to hear, uh, hear music or see a movie or whatever, but it's all about vibrations and what you feel. Yeah. And so if you're supposed to cry at a given moment uh, in a movie and that, and that, and that actor have, has you bawling and for days and days thinking about what happened, they've done their job. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how you went from uh, Ricky the bass player as a part of, of a band or, the, mm -hmm. or in the orchestra pit of, of Dreamgirls to Ricky, the, the music director, Ricky, the leader in, mm -hmm. in the music industry. When you, when you got into, back into uh, the music industry, was it Whitney Houston that was the first person that you started working with? So that you felt? after Dreamgirls, no, my, uh, the next day I got a call from, uh, I, I actually was doing a rehearsal at the Musicians Union and that drummer said, hey, what are you doing? And I told him I just finished the gig and he says, I'm working with Lou Rawls and he's looking for a bass player. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, I made the call and we, and I was on the road to the, that, that next weekend. Wow. So, I mean, it's been, uh, with no, you know, it, it wasn't something that I did. It's just, I think in staying in the flow, things open up and doors open up because a lot of things don't come to you because, well, you're not ready for it. Right. 
So it's accepting that. I've, I've, there are jobs that I didn't get, and I realized now that I wasn't ready for it. I mean, I auditioned for, for, um, for the Crusaders, the Jazz Crusaders. And I came in and I played, and the guys, the guys said, uh, hey, listen, uh, uh, you know about the Texas Shuffle? You know, and I was like, no. He said, well, you should. You're from Louisiana, you should know. He said, look, go and, you heard of this guy, Marcus Miller? I said, yeah. He said, go listen to him and come back in six months. And I was with Gladys at the time. So I came back uh, six months later and uh, and uh, I didn't get the job. And so years later, time went on and I ended up doing, uh, doing Dream Girls and doing Lou Rawls and then doing, doing Whitney. And I got the call while I was doing Whitney. I just finished the tour and the same thing. I come home and I get a call from another bass player saying, hey, can you cover me on this Algero gig to Europe for three months? Because uh, I, I got some sessions that I can't go. Right. And yeah, I'm doing the gig and, get, and guess who's opening up? The Crusaders. Huh. So the guys come to me and they go, man, you sound good. Uh. Where are you from? And I said, I'm from LA. I, I auditioned from, for you guys. You did? Well, man, whatever you've been doing, you, you keep doing that, man. You sound good. <laughs> so I'm saying it comes back around. And I yeah. really wanted that jazz crusaders because in my mind, I'm a jazz musician. Right. But I was doing uh, more pop gigs and people w weren't hiring me. So once I got the gig with Al Drew, then people start saying, oh, you know, and that's when I met Herbie Hancock. And I started doing like film dates and stuff with him. And it's... It's, you know, the things that you want. I mean, I would say Rumi has a, the, uh, the, the poet Rumi has yeah. a, uh, um, a, a, a quote of his says, what you seek is seeking you. Hmm. And it's so clear because what you want, it, it's looking for you, but you have to do the work. And I, I wasn't ready for those gigs. If I had gotten that gig with the Crusaders, then, uh, you know, I would have gotten fired because yeah. I wasn't ready. I thought I was. Yeah. And I thought I, I mean, I, I paid my dues. Right. You know, I mean, I'm 20. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've seen it all. I've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dreamers, just taking a quick break to remind you about our special offer from Gold Star. Go to goldstar.com backslash Rory, enter the promo code Rory, and you will get an additional $10 off your first order. That's goldstar.com backslash Rory, and get that sweet, sweet $10 off. And it supports the podcast. All right, now back to my guest. Yeah, but that's a kind of what we have to do. That, that's what the process that we have to go through to learn how to deal with rejection, deal with being just open to whatever the universe yeah. brings to you. Yeah. And what a wonder that's that moment for you is mm -hmm. when you have that all come together. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it takes, I mean, and, and, and there are jobs that I didn't get. I auditioned for Lionel Richie. And this is during the, the, the right, right, the Lou Rawls thing. Before I went back to Whitney, I had uh, like about five gigs that I, that were potential gigs for me. Right. And, Lionel Richie and I got to the to the final call. Me and another guy, the other guy got the gig. Right. Bob Dylan did a session. He was going to go on the road. It just didn't happen. The Al Jarreau thing, the gig, the guy who got it, uh, you know, I didn't get it. it was the, the guy, the, the another guy got it. So that went away. And then there was a Jeffrey Osborne uh, uh, that I got the gig for him 
and and but then the Whitney thing called. And the Jeffrey Osborne thing turned out that Whitney opened for Jeffrey Osborne and during the tour it flipped. She was the headliner because everyone was walking out because she had become this mega star. She was the opening act and and in the course of three months that tour flipped and she was the headline and he was the opening act. Wow. So when and so when I got the call was this is the first time that she's headlining. So for me, it was clear, take the Whitney gig. Yeah. But they waited for me to find out about these other gigs, you know, wow. uh, and which, you know, to this day, again, just a godsend. It's just like a, the universe, like really putting all the stuff in line. And of course, later on, I've done many records with Lionel. I ended up uh, uh, playing on records, doing TV specials with him and everything. And so and my relationship was. But had I gotten the gig with Lionel, this conversation about the Whitney or any of this other stuff may not have happened because right. based on that relationship with her starting in 1980, well, originally starting in 82, but in 89, becoming music director, that whole thing just switched everything because Beyonce, 15, Usher, 14, uh, Brandy, 12, Christina, 14, all of these upcoming yeah. Acts, even Adele at 19, you know, knew me from Whitney. Everyone knew me from my association with her and Faith Hill and and everyone in industry. And then and that led to me meeting the 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 you know producers uh Ken Ehrlich and uh John Cassette from the Grammys, having performed on the Grammys with Whitney, to when I came off the road, they knew that I was a guy that could get it done and that I could do pop, country, hip hop, jazz, whatever it was. And so I became music director for the Grammys and wow. after leaving Whitney. So and, and and this being music director for a TV show wasn't really happening where they had one band right. because people want their guys. They want their, yeah. they, you know, you want your people. Yeah, I understand that. But it, it, it became a thing where if if there was only enough room and, and it was a live show, there's not enough time to bring out and, and plug in a new drum set and new guitar, you know, during right. every commercial. So anyway, they they gave me a shot at it, uh, and uh, and and I kept doing that sort of thing, and I became a, a guy who one of a, a person that they could call to do these kind of things, and right. then award shows and those things. But people like Beyonce and and uh, um, you know uh, Adele, Rihanna, you know, I mean, she was fifteen when I met her, and the work, but it was the Whitney work, you know, yeah. that that people. I mean, Christina sung "Run to You" for her audition for Disney. She and did. So, and Britney sung, uh, uh, I forget which one. Uh, uh, I, I forget which song, but, she, but they both sang a Whitney song for their audition for right. to, for Disney. So, to work with me meant that they would, I could impart some of the things yeah. that I learned from Whitney. Yeah, not that I taught Whitney, but that I learned. Well, I think that you and Whitney really complemented each other and came together at such an important moment. And oh, yeah. clearly, you know, we, I, I contacted you after seeing the Whitney documentary and, right. and your contribution to that is so beautiful, heartfelt and amazing. Uh, what did it, that, what was the experience for you? Let's talk about some of that good stuff because yeah. I, I know that so many of the people listening are are still the the Christina Aguilera's or Britney Spears? Right. Those they're the same people, you know, who right. loved Whitney so right. much. What was that like being a part of the rise of Whitney Houston? 
You know, I, I think that when you're in it, you don't see it. Yeah. You, know, you don't see it. You're, you're going about the daily task of living. Like, I mean, you can't really even talk about your own growth in life. Because you, you're 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 in it. You're yeah. you're not you're not seeing when people see you and they go, wow, you know, have seen you in ten years or or your career. They watch your work, and you can't really define what each of these opportunities did. And so right. in this case, we were just trying to do the best we could with with the work. But I mean, the uh, the national anthem. I mean, we. We didn't set out to, to do, you know, if you set out to write a hit, then look at it, then you should probably look at it not happening because your, 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 your focus is wrong. Right. So our, 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 um, you know, we were intent in intending to do the best work we could, but looking at it, the, the rise and the fall, you know, uh, because that is what life is. We, we like a loaf of bread. We we it rises and then it kind of settles in. Yeah. So the ride was was fast. It was you know it was amazing that here we are working on something and then the next thing you know we're we're on a HBO special doing it with an orchestra or whatever the thought was behind yeah. it creatively and it allowed me to try things out and learn from it and. Uh, you know those those lessons I I uh, carry with close with me now, you know, and and my relationship with the artists, and because I'm not there to teach them anything, I'm there to help them, to help guide them right to their true self, to their to their best. Yeah, self. yeah, but they're honest on that self. day. They're honest on that day. Yeah, honest because you may not have the notes. So yeah. here's an alternate note that right. you can try. Try this. How does that feel for you? Yeah. And so I'm giving you options to do. And then you're going to pick what's best for you. Yeah. And and hopefully you'll do the things rest and all the other things right. that that you need to do. You know? Can we talk about the specific situation of the national anthem with Whitney? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was so fascinating how quickly that had to come together. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. So we were in the middle of, of doing, uh, preparing for a, an HBO special. Okay. And I get a call from Whitney's dad saying, Whitney's doing the national anthem, get in touch with these people and, uh, and, and, and find out, you know, what they need. And so I meet with Whitney and we just talk on the phone and she says, I, I really like, I really like how, what Marvin Gaye did, you know, on the, it was different, you know. Yeah. And so I looked at it and basically he just had a drum machine going and he sang wherever he felt. Right. You know, and uh, and so I said, OK, well, well, if I put it in four four time, then that'll give her one beat extra per bar. And uh, so instead of a waltz, it's now in four. Uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and gave us this extra beat. And uh, so she liked the idea, and we thought about gospel chords. And then I, I uh, called over, actually, who was my teacher at the time, John Clayton Jr., uh, is a is a upright player, bass player, and he was playing with the with the Amsterdam Symphony principal bassist. But he also played with with uh, uh, a Count Basie and, and kind of like the big jazz guys. So anyway, he ended up doing the arrangement. And I took that arrangement with me and we recorded it onto a DAT tape with, with right at, at a rehearsal. I had one hour to record it. And then I took that tape and brought it back. And Whitney re- recorded her vocal. 
and she had never heard it. And then she came in and she basically, what you heard was the first take with the exception of, I think, Rockish Red Glare. And, you know, the, it's, it's a lot better now, but with all the slap back in the, in the stadium, there's no way to rehearse the sound of the crowd. Yeah. And there's no way to rehearse the flyover, which is like a sonic <laughs> boom. Yeah. You know, so, um, so she, I had to rehearse it to, and she said, okay, well, she, okay, so should I sing it? live or because we did a rehearsal because they let you do whatever you want to do really uh but um she had been sitting there all day after the sound check and it was cool it had gotten cooler that night and we're sitting in you know we're not out in the audience we're sitting up in in uh in a room you know just sitting waiting for her to go down and do it yeah so i said look just practice it and sing it and uh but but in, and i said you know you have to really sing it. Like, I mean, sing it. I don't mean yeah. lip sync, sing it. Yeah. And whether that mic is on or not, that's not really what, what matters. But sing it exactly the same way. Because if the mic goes out, then I have nothing. Right. I, I, can't, I can't turn it on and, and, you're, and you're like moving your mouth. Right. So uh, I said, so the, that vocal you did was excellent. So we're going to use that vocal, but sing it. So let me see you sing it. And sing along with the thing. Sing it with the, with the track. Yeah. And we rehearse that. I want you to sing it. I mean, really sing it. Because if any case, if it comes on or, or somebody unplugs it or something happens, then you need to be singing. Same emotions, same notes. You got to hit it. Yeah. Anyway, you know, it was a lot of controversy that she was lip syncing. And, and uh, she wasn't lip syncing. She was singing. I just chose to use that vocal that was on track. But to prove a point, we did the HBO special. And I had her start it a cappella. We opened the HBO special with her singing it a cappella the first really? verse. Wow. And then that shut down all the critics. Yeah. It shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it wasn't, because it was like the whole Millie Vanilli thing. Right, it wasn't right. like it was somebody else's voice. You, it's clearly her voice. Yeah. Very clear. It's clear voice. Well, it's the most iconic uh, rendition of the national anthem, and it's also you changed what was possible in singing the national anthem and right. giving it that that change in meter. Yeah. I think was was something that really changed what people are allowed to do yeah. with feeling having mm-hmm. feeling in the national. Yeah, anthem. I mean it, it. It it happened ten years later. I I start getting calls again to do it, so I ended up doing Backstreet Boys and. Uh, um, and Beyonce, right. Jennifer Hudson, uh, Faith Hill, America the Beautiful, Mary J. Blige, and Mark Anthony, America the Beautiful. And I became music director for the pregame ceremony for a couple of years as well. And, and, and so I had the guy Faith. who tried to get out of gym. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, it's, it's important. I mean, if you're going to get out of gym, make it worthy. Yeah, yeah. But, but now I'm exercising more than I exactly. ever did because yeah. I like it, because I yeah. like feeling great. But I, you know, I mean, look, when you're a kid and you're young, I mean, you get bullied, you get all these things, yeah. you know, and you're just trying to figure it out, yeah. just to figure out how to just, can I be me? Can yeah. I exist? You know? Yeah, absolutely. So you have this, this uh, great thing going on with Whitney Houston at what was such a phenomenal career. And obviously I would recommend everyone go to the documentary. We don't have to yeah. get into the, the depths of, yeah. of where it goes, but it had to have been such a difficult time for you because not only were you connected to her professionally, but emotionally, very yeah. clearly you cared about yeah. her personally. Yeah. Um, 
And when you have that kind of a relationship with, with another artist and there's nothing you can do, it can make you feel very helpless, I'm sure. How did you create boundaries or figure out a way to move forward after all that happened? Well, I think that having someone in your life that you care about and we have it in our family and our friends and and uh and in all our relationships both business and personal and i think that um it comes to you crystal clear hmm. it's just whether you're ready to to act on it yeah and so it was time for me to leave and there were more signs than just that i, I had things in my personal life that meant that i should stay home and not travel anymore. Right. And I had no real notion of what exactly I would do, but I knew that the time had come after 20 years of being on the road for yeah. me to not be on the road anymore. Right. And, uh, and that was a difficult decision. And, and, uh, and I spoke to Whitney about it and uh, I had a, a young son at the time and, and uh, she said, look, I get it. You know, I'll make, make the, around your schedule. We'll figure it out how to, you know, you can, we can do three weeks on and then you go home for three weeks and, you know, but no tour can sustain like that. I mean, you yeah. know, you can't, uh, it costs a lot to, to keep a tour together. Right. So anyway, uh, that decision to leave uh, was to try to save myself, you know, uh, because there are things in your life where, you don't feel whole, you know, yeah. and it's not, I didn't have any, any emotional problems or drug problems or alcohol or anything. I was just, something was pulling me to say, your time here is done. Right. Which is okay. And it's hard to leave. It's hard to leave a company. It was a great gig. I mean, yeah. I had a retainer. I had, you know, I had all the, uh, uh, um, platinum cards and uh, all the expense budget and yeah. five first class everywhere and private. I mean, you know, yeah. Why are you leaving? Right. You know, and I can't really even answer that because I don't know. Right. It's just you feel it. Mm -hmm. So uh, then once I left, it was hard for me to watch um, her go through the, the difficulty, especially when it came to paparazzi, when people and 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 uh, the rag mags, yeah. you know, because they don't really know her. But they but. And, you know, she would say, they, like, they love to tear you down, you know? Right. Well, and, and they also don't treat that as uh, a health issue. It's it's more of a, a time to, to mock or mm -hmm. to, to tear someone down mm -hmm. personally when mm -hmm. this, is, this is a health issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, the documentary is wonderful. You are so great in it. And clearly have a love and respect for her. And um, I'm just very grateful that you shared all that you shared in it and yeah. that you were able to tell that story. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's important. And look, she's, she is my sister, yeah. you know, and um, she would say things like, you know, we've been through the thick and thicker, you know, and then <laughs> so that, but, but m musically and, and the vibration, I mean, there's, we, we, uh, she was the singer of our generation. Yeah, you know, she was one of the one of the major influences. And 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 every young girl that can sing always goes to her. Yeah, and say. And so if it's Adele, Ariana, Rihanna, I mean, whoever it is, there's some. There's a Whitney story in there. Yeah, 
There's oh, a Whitney story. No, the yeah. sound that you created with her is has inspired a generation of singers. Yeah. Um, I think that another thing that you've been a part of that has inspired another generation of singers is American Idol. You've also seen so many people who are starting their career, or trying to start, mm-hmm. go in front of America <laughs> and yeah. put themselves out there. What was that experience like for you working on American Idol? Um, it was... Uh, exhilarating to see that much talent up close and to have a hand in helping them to showcase their, their, their gifts and their art. Yeah. That being said, it was very difficult to watch them, uh, you know, be eliminated. Yeah. Because some of them you become close to in the sense that they want it so badly and you want to help them, but this this business, uh, especially the entertainment businesses, it's just not made for everybody. No. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen, and and that's a, a hard thing for someone to hear, you know. And um, but you know, I speak at at, at uh, and do master classes at several colleges, and you know, the one thing that's important for everyone to hear, um is say more than 99% of you won't make it Yeah, as a career for it. And most people would hope to have one opportunity to play or even meet one artist, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, if I knew how hard it was, if I would have left college to do this, but I follow my inner voice and I was willing to take the chance. There's nothing says that it, it had to be me. It's nothing at all. No. You know, uh, again, it was uh, the universe and God and and whatever you believe in uh, that uh, allow things to happen at opportune times and you were ready. There's Mm -hmm. so many variables. I mean, it's a a meeting. I didn't say the story about the Whitney part of it is that I was working with Gladys Knight in Boston Mm -hmm. and uh, this young singer, Stephanie Mills, from uh, from the Wiz and right, a, yeah. a great uh, actor and singer uh, was playing at Berkeley College of Music across the street. Hmm. The drummer with Gladys used to play with Stephanie. He hmm. said, "Let's go over there." Uh, and uh, I, I'm friends with Stephanie's guys. Let's go into their sound check now. You know, they're over there. Yeah. And we went. And the guy who was a music director was the guy who called me about Whitney and says, "I got this girl singing in my church, trying to get a record deal." There's nothing, you can't write a story like that. Wow. You can't make these things happen and go, yeah. okay, now I want to meet someone who's going to help me go yeah. the next thing. Yeah. So life happens the way it's supposed to happen, but it's what you do with the opportunities. Yeah. You're going to get them. Right. Are You're going you to get them. Are you prepared? And is it for you? Don't be afraid to change your mind. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I was a math major. But I changed my mind, and I was willing to accept what happens after that. Right. But, I mean, to this day, I mean, you know, if need be, I mean, I, I'm i a Virgo, so I love to clean. So I'll wash cars. <laughs> I'll clean houses. I mean, I love You'll it. You'll do I mean, it's not, you need but it's not, No, but it's not even uh, uh, just because I want to have something to do. I'll do something else that I love to do. Yeah. That's the point. And, yeah. and we're all super gifted and talented in so many areas. Don't get fixated on, I'm going to do this because this is my dream to be on Broadway. Well, that's exactly, this is what I'm saying. You have been able to adapt in the music industry 
so many times and to change your career based on what was being presented to you and, and be of service to people and to your art. Yeah. You know, and that to me is so inspiring and speaks to no matter what you do it, creatively. Right. That's so important. Exactly. And so, I mean, do you know what, what's the next thing? I mean, I've been writing and, and creating some shows and doing a couple of, of things and, you know, um, but really what I'm doing next, I have no idea. Yeah. But I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because it's, it's going to, it's going to show itself to me. It's going to appear right there yeah. and say, here I am. Let's go. When did you start to trust that? Was there a t- was there ever a time that you I I only in the last like five to six years when I'm unemployed have I been like you know what enjoy this because mm-hmm. it's actually not going to be forever. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I was you know running mm-hmm. around with my hair on fire. Was it something that was always that way for you that you were able to trust that that was going to be or? Well, I think it's probably because I've never really been out of work, so I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, right. seriously, yeah. I mean, I don't you, know. I, I get be- that. because. The, the work that I do now requires a lot of prep work. Yeah. So I might not be on set. I might not be in the studio this very moment. Right. But there's like five or six shows coming down the pike. So I have work to do. And some of these shows I'm, I'm executive producing or producing. Yeah. Or, or even if I'm, I'm music director, I'm playing or I'm conducting. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So, you know, like now the Kennedy Center Honors uh, just was announced. And this right. is my fourth year i think fourth or fifth wow. i'm not sure i think the fourth yeah the third, eight, yeah nine. yeah i think fourth year doing it. so i mean but i'm saying that those are big shows and shows like like the emmys uh i did last year and in grammys and super all this stuff is big stuff yeah and it takes a lot of prep time so where uh where it may not seem like you know like to my mom, I'm actually not working right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she knows there's a lot of work going to, but she wants to say, what can I turn on the TV and see you yeah. on right now? Not, yeah. not, 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 you know, rehearsals and schedules and budgets and such. Yeah. Yes. What can she talk about to her friends? Right. <laughs> and tell them to see you. On. Yeah. I, and I, I, I can give you my calendar for, for, for now to mid next year. There's a whole bunch of holes in yeah. it, but you know yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the business. But know? and then you went into you also were the band leader for the Tonight Show, yeah. which was a c- completely different experience. I'm sure. Yeah. What was that like? Well, dream gig hashtag dream gig for life. I mean, yeah. if, if you could land one of those jobs yeah. like that and be in the creative position where they trust you to do the music that you like, so yeah. our library increased in just four years. We had. 2,000 additional songs that we ended up playing. And if I heard something on the show from Train or from, from, uh, Alice Cooper or, or, uh, or Herbie Hancock or whoever was on the show, the next night we were playing it. Wow. And it was part of our repertoire. CeeLo Green. I mean, whatever, Sting, whoever was on. And then we got a chance to play with a lot of them because they had worked with me before. Right. So Placido Domingo, great, I'll play with Ricky. Or so-and-so, oh, I'll play with him because it helps the record company. It helps them not having to fly in everyone. We know the drill. We can go in and rehearse it that morning, play it that night. And, and plus our, our regular repertoire, we had a, a system. But it was a great paying gig. It was a lot of respect. And uh, eight weeks vacation, you know, and you're you're at home. Yeah. You're at home. And yeah. you can really pick some of the things that you like to do during your time off and you can actually schedule a vacation. I mean, now, if, you know, they say, you know, the deal now, yeah. I mean, you want, you want, you want to, you want to, uh, uh, 
make get a job you'll get a job schedule, schedule vacation, vacation. Yeah. yeah oh yeah oh yeah. it's it's funny how we kind of i've i've stopped living in that fear because yeah. I'm like, you know what? If that is the case, if I do get a job and I have to reschedule a vacation mm-hmm. or something happens, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll, that's what I'll do. You yeah. know, you'll deal with it as it happens. I feel like one of the reasons that you've been able to adapt and you've done so well in this career and you've taken those chances and you've left right. Whitney when you knew you, you were being called to do something else or yeah. something more is where you started and where your family started that you have, I've I've talked to a lot of artists whose um, parents were immigrants Mm -hmm. or families made big decisions to, to survive, you know, to, to make something of a a life for their kids. Mm -hmm. They took those big chances. So I go back to you having, you said you had a conversation with your mom when you left college to say, I'm going to become a musician. And she said, Yes, go do it. That's a really big deal that a lot of parents who probably hadn't taken that chance to move. Well, here's the thing. You know, my my mom was a uh, single parent with five kids wow. by the age of 25. Wow. So she had worked hard to provide for us. And we came out with my grandmother, you know, who worked as a housekeeper for Steve McQueen and sent money back every month until she could send enough money for us to move here. Wow. And that took about a year. So my mom was holding down the five kids and and the little place we lived in in in, in the dirt road there in Louisiana. But you know, it is uh you know, would I have stayed in school? I don't think so. I would have figured it out. Yeah. You know, but to have your your mom support you in that but that doesn't mean that if you you either you get to support or you don't. That yeah. doesn't mean that it that you shouldn't go for it because a lot of because a lot of kids don't. It's all you though. Yeah, right. you know, yeah, I know. I know kids who whose parents want them to be doctors and lawyers, and they are, but they they they're not happy with their lives. Yeah, and and what and what they did with it. But there are some that are though that still play. You know, like actually my. My doctor was one of the guys I met, uh, uh, my general doctor up until a few years ago. Uh, my whole, you know, some, some, some 30 years or so. Right. It was my doctor because we met. Oh, wow. And, and, but he plays piano on the weekend. Uh huh. So he's, he has the best role because he needed security. His dad was a doctor. Wow. So he needed, he, he, he felt that the music business, is the the variables is too many variables. I yeah, well, it, it, like you said, it's not. It isn't for everyone. It's not for everyone. If you need stability and you need to know, I'm going to go to the same place every day. Every yeah. you know, this is. I'm going to eat this. You know, I mean, Jay Leno uh, was was uh, when it came to food, hmm. he would decide what he was going to eat for lunch for the year, <laughs> and then he wouldn't change it until until the next year because all these decision making. So I'm going to have hamburgers yeah. every day. I'm going to have pizza for a year. I mean, you know, and 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 I'm going to wear jeans because I, I get a chance to work on my cars. I don't have to worry about if I get it dirty or not. So I got a closet full of jeans, right. jeans, shirts, jeans, pants. I ain't got to worry what shirt's going to match this. Just put it on. Right. I there mean, you go. That, yeah, so so he has he had the perfect job for he, him. Yeah, because because <laughs> he didn't want to to dress up. It just never would have worked out. And yeah, he was just. I'll tell you. Uh, uh, he is one of the nicest guys ever. Wow. And still to this day, we'll call up every now and then just to check in. Yeah. 
That's and if awesome. you see him on the street, I don't care who you are or what you do. He's got yeah. he's he's got a smile for you and a hello. Yeah. Yeah. I went once to the tonight show, um, just in that I wasn't even up front to watch you, but I it I was with Josh Gad, right. who was my one of my best friends. Yeah. And I sat in the dressing room and he came in and said hello to Josh and said hi to me and couldn't have been Nice. Well, I came in to say hello to Josh too. Where were you? Were you in the bathroom? Oh, because, because <laughs> I did. did. I, because I followed Jay's thing, so I would come in. Jay goes in first. I yeah. go in and, and just say welcome and say who I am. And, yeah, and just welcome to to the show. You know. Well, Josh was on a few times, so maybe it wasn't the time I was there. Yeah, maybe maybe so. Hmm. hmm. Well. <laughs> Yeah, you might have been. You might be you don't going remember about me, the though. pasty redheaded guy in the corner. Yeah, well, there were a few of them though. So <laughs> yeah, that's I don't true. know. Maybe we were like we followed. Yeah, follow Josh Ron. Um, I want to wrap up here, and I'm so grateful for you giving me the time. But you have had a major change in your life. You have a new daughter. You have a wonderful wife. You have a great family. Uh, how have you been able to keep that balance of working so hard and how much time you have to put into the projects you work on and having this family? And is it something you continually learn new ways to do? I'm, I'm always the student. Huh. I, I'm, 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 I'm sharing if that's, if that's what a teacher does, then yeah. I do that, but I'm looking to learn. And so how, uh, each person is different. So I try to just communicate honestly and try to be supportive in, in, in all the roles. And so my hope is to be the best son, the best father, the best brother, the best friend that I can be in every moment. So that means carving out Ricky time. So I do walking, meditation, yoga, an hour to me every day. I give myself back an hour. Wow. Um, and then... Uh, it's the family and what my family needs immediately. Uh, and then the work gets all the rest of it. And then, yeah. then I have to make sure I get some rest. Yeah. So I make sure I, I, I work hard at staying balanced. And I, I'm, I had this disease that uh, goes rampant uh, in life. It's called the disease to please. Mm. And I wanted to make everybody happy. That yeah. was my goal. I was going to not let anyone down. Yeah. I was going to say yes to everything and I was going to do for everyone. Uh, but it takes a physical toll because people will, you know, they're um, emotional vampires and they will, they will unload their whole problems on you. Yeah. And then they'll go out after they finish, they'll go out and have a great time and go out to dinner and you can't even get out of bed now. You're just so depressed. So yeah. I think that it's a matter of setting boundaries. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that everyone's worth your time, but not everybody's ready for it. So be okay saying no, you know, learn to say no and, and mean it and, and learn to be uh, honest, even if you think that the person, uh, because advice is what you ask for when you already know the answer, but wish you didn't, Mm. Uh, you know, I really want to buy this new suit. Uh, but I mean, I, my, my bills are due. So I'm waiting for someone to go, you work hard. You deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I don't get the answer, I'll say, all right, we'll see you later. And I'm going to keep calling until somebody Find says, someone somebody's got to gotta say, yeah, yeah. it's okay to go to Vegas this weekend and have a good time. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. you, you, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a matter of, 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 uh, you can't be honest with anyone until you stop lying to yourself. 
So yeah. uh, the goal is to try to be honest with yourself. And if the relationship is toxic, then it may be time to sever the ties, no matter right. who it is, well, family or friends. I, I feel like it's so appropriate that you are saying that you are always the student because in just a short amount of time working with you, I learned so much. You were the teacher to me and to the group of people that we brought together for mm-hmm. that for that event. We all just kept talking about how we were learning how to be better professionals, better artists, and and enjoy ourselves yeah. more in such a short amount of time. So you really have a profound effect on the people and artists that you work with. And I, I'm so glad that you got to share a thanks lot of that, that wisdom with my listeners today. So thanks for having me, Ricky. And it is with great intent. I want to go to bed every night empty and wake up full the next day and give it all away again. Awesome. Thanks, Fun. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.